Hi, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to the Who the Fuck Podcast. Inquisitive, authentic, unapologetic. A show designed to create connection, fuel compassion, activate change, and figure out just who the fuck you are. Hey gang, you're listening to the latest episode of the Who the Fuck Podcast. Today I'm sharing the mic with Austin-based firefighter and founder of Bad Bitch Movement, Alasia Orofelli. Alasia's organization, Bad Bitch Movement, was born from her own experiences seeking to become a female firefighter with a mission to share stories from all types of women who have faced identity-based adversity. We'll dive into that in a bit, but before we get started, Alasia, do you want to give a little bit of information about yourself to our listeners? Yes, um, I just want to thank you first, Nikki. Thank you for having me. For sure. So I was born and raised in Arvada, Colorado, to a fairly traditional Italian family, single mom. I grew up being a fairly rebellious kid or having that tag on me, which it wasn't that. It was just that I was a questioning type child. I wanted to have answers when I didn't understand why I was doing something. Do you still feel that way? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> My lieutenant loves it, constantly asking him questions. <laughs> yes, yes. Managers really enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. I played a lot of sports growing up. I ended up getting a softball scholarship to Bethany College in Kansas, and that's kind of where I fell in love with firefighting. Very cool. So I don't know much about Kansas or Bethany, Kansas, for that matter. So is that a? am going to be a little bit ignorant here. I assume most places in Kansas aren't very big or metropolitan. So is Bethany like a pretty small place? So yeah, Bethany was a tiny, it was a liberal arts school. I went to a liberal arts school. I got you. <laughs> and it was Lindsburg, Kansas, which was maybe like 7,000 people. Okay. So it was a culture shock. You know, I was basically raised in the suburbs of Denver, going to the middle of nowhere, Kansas. And yeah, it was something that shapeshift things for sure. Yeah. So, so you became interested in being a firefighter there. How did that happen? The city offered me an opportunity to go to EMT school as long as I worked for them for three years. And so they sent me to EMT school my freshman year, second semester of college. And then I worked for them for three years and then got the opportunity to volunteer as a firefighter. Oh, that's awesome. So when you were in school, were you studying to be in the medical field? Yes. So I went to school to be a PA. I ended up graduating with a bachelor's degree in biology pre-PA. But right when I got into firefighting, I fell in love. I quickly found out that's what I wanted to do and chased after my dreams. Yeah. I mean, it's really awesome to just know a female firefighter. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I feel like fewer and further between. Do you actually happen to know the statistics around like the ratio of female to male firefighters? I do not. I know it's very rare. <laughs> I'm going to Google it. We'll put it in the show notes because I'm really interested to know that. I mean, I feel like we actually had a Lyft driver, I don't know, a couple months ago, and he was saying that he was practicing, you know, and studying for his firefighter exam and that he wasn't really worried about the physical exam. Like he had that down pat. He's like, I just can't screw up the written exam. And I'm like, well, listen, man, like if you're going to pass one of them, I kind of am good with you passing the physical exam because if I'm in a burning house, like you just hoist me over your shoulder and bring me out of there. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he was talking about it and it really sort of I said to him, it really blows my mind when I think about people who are in your position and in your field, because so often there's really not, I think, an equitable share of funds or salary or benefits to people who are in like, for lack of better term, like a civil servant position, right? So like, you're a firefighter, because you're a good human being. And it's something you're passionate about, right? Like you have to really care about people to want to be able to save them from really a death defying scenario, in any case where you're going through that. So do you feel like you've always been somebody who sort of 
enjoys that adrenaline rush? Did you see yourself going down this path when you were younger? Or was it something that sort of came out of the woodwork and developed in a different way? Yeah, it definitely was not something that I saw myself doing as a kid. This was, I'm not an adrenaline rush type person. And honestly, when I'm doing the job, I don't feel an adrenaline rush. It was really the fate of, yeah, not at all. Like people, we get like adrenaline dumps is what we call it, where people get tunnel vision when we go on calls. And I don't have that. Like I go on a call and everything's more slow motion to me or like I'll get out and I can see everything. And so. That's cool. I feel like I just envisioned it. Just thinking about all the content you watch, right? Where you see firefighters and you're thinking about the actual flames and you going into it. And I've been in scenarios that are really high intensity and like you have to just go, right? And so it really shocked me when I've had those moments where I'm like, oh, I can actually focus. Like, this is what I'm doing. Like, just go do the thing that you need to do. So I get what you're saying. And I can envision like how it does sort of play out in slow motion. Like, this is just what I need to do. And you sort of almost go on autopilot. Is that what it's like? Yeah, it's just you. I don't know. It's a beautiful experience to have. It's, I You can see it in slow motion and you just go out and tack what you can do. And then after it's all done, you kind of sit back and you're like, well, fuck, I just did that. Like, <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter how many times you do it. Vehicle rescues for me every single time it happens. I get the work done. And after I'm done, I'm like, wow, I cut apart that car. Yeah, I did that. That's, <laughs> but, that's, so have you like, used the laws of life? Yeah, they're called extrication tools and we use those. <laughs> extrication tools. I will inform myself thusly. (laughs) So so what do you think was the hardest part that you had to overcome in terms of making that decision to become a firefighter? I think both as a female, but also just in general. Believing in myself and then not worrying what other people think. A lot of people are always going to doubt you. And so I was consistently worried that I wasn't going to be accepted as like, I'm a five, six, I was 145 pound female. So I was always worried about what people thought about me wanting to be a firefighter. And once I kind of threw that all out the window and knew I was capable, chasing after my dreams was really easy and achieving it became much easier. So you seem like you're just inherently the way you speak about it, a really goal oriented person and very driven towards those things. So do you find it pretty natural for you to get to a place where you're like, okay, this is the thing that I want to do and I'm going to sort of set up the milestones and get to it? Or was it a little bit more organic than that? It started out organically. I left college and moved to Dallas and wanted to be a Dallas firefighter. And then I ended up not getting that job and really beat myself up about it. And then coming to become a Travis County firefighter was me having to set up a journey for myself, right? Like going back to school to get my certificates as a firefighter and then getting state certified as an EMT here. And then making sure that I was passing all the tests and doing all of that. And so it started out as a natural thing and became, I got humbled and then I had to start paving the way for myself. And so like there was obstacles in my way and that's where I kind of learned how to overcome adversity and not doubt myself. So if something was in my way, you either fucking blow through it or you make a different road. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Yes. I think that's a good mentality to have, right? I mean, there's always the mindset that we can be doing something differently or doing something better, both, I think, in general and for ourselves as human beings. So when you, you know, were going through this process, I think when we first spoke, we were talking about a bit of an uphill battle that you faced just sort of being a female and going into those reviews that you had to really just get the job, right? Like, so can you walk me through that process a little bit and what that was like for you? Yeah. So when I first was applying for jobs, I made it to the interview process with two suburbs out in Dallas where I had aced the physical exam. Like I've had aced everything up until that point. And 
one of the places specifically, I walked in the door and they saw it was like a female in a black dress. And I sat down and I was super eager to be there. And I can tell the guys had like just shut off. Like in any of the questions that I had answered for them, they just, they wouldn't try to like get me to reiterate. So like when you're normally doing a panel interview, when you ask a question, they normally try to like on top of that, ask something else, right? Give me more from that question. These guys, I would ask a question. They kind of would like give me a look and then write something down and then go to the next thing. So did you feel like they've like already written you off? Yeah, 100%. In that experience, when I walked in that door, I was like, I'm not getting this job. <laughs> That's the <laughs> worst. Did you feel like your sense of it as you were in the panel changed also? Like where you were like, I know I'm not getting this and, and that impacted your responses anyhow? Or do you think you just still went in guns blazing, hoping like, come on, somebody see what I'm doing here? Yeah, I was still hoping because one of the captains there was super excited to have me make it to that point. After the physical exam, he came up and he was like, you fucking killed it. We're excited to have you. Good job. Like, you know, we're going to give you this interview time next week, come in. And so I still had hope, but like he like, wasn't the dude doing the overall interview portion of the panel. And so he ended up, when I walked out, he ended up like shaking my hand and apologized. And that was it. Well, <laughs> you know, I, my time, like. well, yeah. And arguably, I mean, it's frustrating to know that somebody in that position who's really advocating for you up front and sees your potential doesn't have the wherewithal or potentially the power to make the decision and fight for you further because there's value in doing that. I mean, one of the things that I've learned as an adult in my career because I've worked in HR technology primarily is that when you have a team of people, you actually really want people who complement each other. And psychologically speaking, if you get really people that are generally the same type of people, and they're always going to be that type of person, I mean, it's pretty much goes without saying psych 101, right, you're going to get the same results. But this idea of balancing, you know, people's capabilities and their sensibilities about things is super important in any type of role and arguably most important when you are in a position where you do genuinely deal with people in extreme situations and crisis situations. Because this is the other thing that drives me batshit crazy, Alasia, is the amount of or the lack of rather trauma informed training of people who are first responders and more often than not, right, like EMTs, firefighters, police are men. And so that's fine. But be an emotionally intelligent man who understands that these are situations where people are literally like in some of the worst moments of their lives. And it can't just be cut and dry. This is how we deal with it. Let's go forward. And I think that and not to say that all women are like this either or all men aren't like this, but do you feel like there's a discernible difference in sort of your approach as a female firefighter versus males when it comes to the psychology behind it? Obviously, the physical components are pretty standard, like you've got to be able to do X, Y, Z. You definitely have to be strong. I think it's not, it's me as a human. I'm very self-aware and practice mindfulness. And I've been in situations where like I've had to be in an ambulance and I've been in situations where 911 had to be called. And so going into people's house and doing patient care, like I take a lot of pride in that. And so, you know, I do work with some guys that aren't as mindful as me, but they're also really young dudes. And so over the time when they have people that are like me or like my lieutenant or my crew, like my crew super seasoned, and they see guys like that go into houses, I think it will help. And the mindset in the field right now is getting better. The mindset of that like old, crusty, salty firefighter, like we do it this way and we don't care about anything we're realizing we do work with a community and that the way that community sees us is important. And so 
as long as we keep on hiring young guys that want to change the like the fire service will get better over time. That's a really good observation. And I see that in general with law enforcement in the town that we live in now. We moved out of Seattle and we had a car accident like over the summer. And the officer that I was speaking to, I frankly, I got like really bitchy. Just like I was like, we had to interact with the Seattle PD a couple of times, incidentally, with other car issues last year. And it was just like really degrading and, and a lot of like blaming, shaming type of stuff that you hear about. SPD doesn't have a great reputation to begin with. But when so the city that we live in now, Kirkland, I sort of like my guard was up. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to like defend ourselves here. This is so stupid. Like this is what it keeps coming down to, right? Is like people don't know enough about like the actual emotional things that you're dealing with while the things that they're tackling from like a surface level are happening. And I was so pleasantly surprised because he really listened, you know, I mean, it, at first, I think we were butting heads a little bit because I came in hot and my wife was like, dial it down. <laughs> He's still up. And I'm like, I'm just gonna make a point hair. <laughs> and, but you know, he was really great. Like he actually made sure that we got home safe. And then he told me that he googled something that I had said to him to validate, you know, this is one of the things that you need to understand about dealing with people who have PTSD when they're in a traumatic situation. And he was like, thank you for telling me that. And I was like, please tell your friends. <laughs> you know? And so, so to your point, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whisper that down the lane. But to your point, right, it's like he was a younger guy and he even said to us, he said, listen, you know, I'm trying to do it right. I'm trying to do better. And, you know, so I hope that he and people like yourself and your lieutenants are those people who are also starting to create that shift in this mentality because you said it. It's about community. And that's exactly what this officer said to me. He said, I grew up here. I care about this community. I want people to be safe and I want them to trust us. And I think that with everything going on right now, it's a little bit different, I think, probably for police and firefighters as far as like the animosity. At least I, I hope that it's different for you. But do you feel like the way things have sort of been playing out right now, for lack of a better word, politically, it's really, I think, the human rights side of things, too. Like, do you feel like the firefighting force has gotten sort of sucked into that as well? Or do you feel like you're still sort of on the outskirt of it because it's not like directly related to the law enforcement, but you guys are getting involved in these things like riots, etc. Yeah, I think there is more eyes on us for sure. But luckily, I got into a field where we are glorified. I feel really bad for police officers because I know a lot of police officers that are really good people and want to do yeah, super good. And so we don't get that animosity of us being like shitty people for no reason. Like, and we can go into someone's house and destroy their fucking house. And people are like, thank you so much. And I'm all like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm all like, we probably didn't need to do it that bad, but okay. Like yeah, yeah. Police, officers, police officers just fucking pull over a car and then they're already a shitty person. Right. Yeah, like, totally. <laughs> and Greg, it doesn't matter that you're speeding a thousand miles per hour. It's fine. Yeah. You know, no, you're totally right. So when you were going through pursuing your dream job, you were obviously met with critics. Did you ever feel like you wanted to stop pursuing it or take a different path that might be less difficult for you to really have an impact up front? No, not at all. When people like to criticize me or doubt me, that just gives me more fucking fuel. And so, yeah, so the anyone that I ran into that wanted to doubt that I could do this, it just pushed me further to do it. Have you always felt that way? Oh, yeah. Like you wanted to rise up despite the expectations? Yeah, it was the mindset that I was kind of set in. Like my family always had that traditional, this is what women do kind of mindset. And so I was all like, hmm, this is what I'm going to do, though. You know, <laughs> so it just has been who I am my whole life. And I'm very grateful for that now because it has gotten me to where I am. And 
you know, it's now more of a hardworking thing than anything else because I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks and I don't need to prove anyone wrong anymore. And so now it's just kind of proving myself wrong in, in any aspect of my life. Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful sentiment and the fact that you have the awareness, the self-awareness to do that. Because, uh, by the way, can you remind me how old you are? Um, I just turned 24. Okay, so you're still relatively young. I say this as somebody who is now over a decade older than you. It's it's just really rough, man. Um, but no, I um, I really feel like that on top of the fact that you have done what you've done and gotten where you've gotten, I think I want to emphasize your age not to say oh look how young you are right now look at how much you've done at your age and how you've remained dedicated and committed to this in a way that a lot of people don't even get to at any point in their life so it's a really amazing thing to be able to see somebody with so much passion for what they do and really feel so just you feel like you embody it like I feel like when you talk about it there's just this really intense sense of pride and accomplishment that comes with that. And do you feel like when you became a firefighter that that was something that really gave you a new sense of identity as well? No, it just kind of, it was finally one of like the more proud, like proud moments of my life. Like I graduated college. I didn't really care because it's just a piece of paper and education is bogus, but like I had (laughs) education is bogus but real life experience it is it's all about life experience but yeah becoming a firefighter in the sense of like when I actually got my job and got to suit up for the first time was the first time that I was ever proud of myself I had accomplished all the goals that I had seeked out for and so I do still hold myself accountable to that expectation like what got me there and so I think that's where you see the sense of pride when I talk and the love and what I do is because like it took a lot like I overcame a lot to be where I am today and that is where my passion still is at. Yeah, it's incredible to hear you talk about it with so much energy and passion, because I think a lot of people don't ever get to that point in their lives either, you know, and to be able to not only have identified that, but you're obviously also super self aware at a younger age. And I this is something I'm actually super envious of, air quotes, your generation for I like to believe that I'm part of it still, but I don't think I am. I can tell by our music playlists if we compare them side by side. (laughs) But I think that there's something more empathetic about people in their 20s right now, and even their 30s. Honestly, I, I feel like our generation sort of in like the 20s and 30s, and even 40s, like, there's a group of people that really feel strongly that maybe we've been doing this wrong. Maybe the way that we need to be focusing our energy is on the things that we can really do well and figure out how to make that more integrated into the community, whether that's being a firefighter or being an artist or being a musician or being a technologist. Like there's so many things that we can do. And if you find your passion and you play to that strength, it goes with what I was saying about, you know, finding people who are compatible on different teams with different points of view. It's also, you know, balancing those strengths and weaknesses and understanding, you know, where your opportunities for growth are and not being afraid of those opportunities of growth. Do you see, you know, your career now, you know, still very early on going into a lifelong career as a firefighter? And like, where do you see that ultimately leading for you? Yeah, no, this is I want to retire as a firefighter for sure. I do want to go back to school and get my degree in psychology just to kind of help out the the mindset in our field more. I want to study like psychology of benevolence. I want to study the psychology of first responders 
just so I can be of more assistance to my people. That's awesome. So are you thinking of it as assistance both to people that you're helping when you're on the job and in the field and also firefighters that you onboard and are joining your house? Yeah, both. So it will help me with more understanding of the community I'm serving and people that are facing struggles that I don't understand and probably will never understand. And then with like the people I work with, especially because the fire service tries to recruit super young. And if you weren't someone like I was blessed to have a lot of barriers as a child, like growing up and having to overcome things, you know, not be given a lot of things. And so when the fire service recruits people super young, they don't have that self-awareness. They don't have that mindfulness. They're not, you know, used to working in a community. And so I want to be able to work with my younger firefighters because I'm one right now and help them kind of understand what's going on as we work with people that are going through tragedies. Yeah. I mean, what's the, I guess, so far what you've been through? How long did you say you've been firefighting? I volunteered for two years and I've been on with Travis County for seven months. Okay, cool. So almost three years. Um, yeah. if we round up. 2020 felt like two years. It's fine. <laughs> so what do you feel has been the most impactful thing from the work that you've done thus far as a firefighter? Like, Have you had any standout experiences where you feel like really blown away by what you've gone through or what you've witnessed other people go through? I serve a really poor community of Austin. So I work in uh, Southeast Austin. It is one of the poorer areas and really, I don't know, every day at work is something different. Just kind of seeing the way they live compared to what I was used to growing up to or growing up in. And then just like how grateful they are to have us. And that keeps me motivated because these people don't have insurance. These people don't have money. And so us saving their house and not letting it burn down is important. Us saving their stuff and getting it out of the house if it's going to burn down is important. Like they call us and they think we're doctors. So we go into their houses as medical professionals. And, you know, we're doctors to them because they don't go to doctors. And so are all firefighters trained as EMTs? Up to that. Yes. So they can be at least EMTs. Okay. So you say at least EMTs. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because I just don't know like how that would So there's like EMT, AEMT, which is advanced, and then a paramedic. Okay. What's the difference between an EMT and a paramedic? I would have used those interchangeably. An EMT and a paramedic. So paramedics just can like give more drugs. Okay. And they have a little bit more wide range of knowledge than us. Okay. It's pretty basic. Like I can give you a basic assessment. I can give you albuterol. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. So good luck. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So can you tell me how Bad Bitch Movement came to be? Was that something that you had in mind all along? Or is that something that really came about after you went through your journey as a firefighter? It kind of organically started in college. I've always been a like super driven person and then kind of gotten shit for it up until this point in my life. And so I would wake up at 5am in college and work out before I had class. And then before we had practice and all of that. And people would always talk shit about it. And so I'd wake up and take a picture of the sunset and be like, bad bitch movement. And so that's how it organically started. <laughs> but as an adult, the reason I started the bad bitch movement page was yeah, to inspire people. I would be on social media and a lot of the platforms that show women are either sexualized or it's like a woman that is Instagram famous per se. And mm-hmm. I want influencer. Yeah, influencer. And I wanted to show women that are everyday women doing badass stuff because there's so many people out there that aren't getting the recognition they deserve and that are super inspirational. And so that's why I started the page. And I have so many women now coming to me that they inspire the fuck out of me every day. Like their stories are incredible. 
That's awesome. Is it something that you began really on your own or do you have other people involved in it right now? It's something I started on my own, but I do have people involved in it. I have like my best friend trying to draw me up shirt stuff right now because I want to do merch drops and I didn't realize how hard it was to make shirt designs. I am not artistic like that. So it starts with a good logo. <laughs> that's what she's I'm like, I leave that to her. She likes to do crafts and shit. So I'm all like, yeah. Taylor, here you go. Yeah, a hundred percent. It really and, and you know what it's I think it's great because what I really love about merch because I just did a couple of designs and as you know, we talked about, I'm giving some merch to each of my guests because I, as the show of gratitude. And honestly, I also feel like who doesn't want like a hoodie or a hat or something, you know, it's like, and if you can use that as a way to build brand awareness in a way that isn't like so overt where, you know, you're just constantly like peddling your goods and stuff, but you use it as a way to connect with people. If I wear one of my hats or a jacket or something out and somebody asks me about the question mark logo, I can just be like, oh, well, yeah, I actually have this podcast, you know? And it's like, so it's a little bit of shameless self-promotion for sure, but I'm wearing it because it's something that I feel passionate about and I care about it. And I want it to be something that like is surrounding me and I can bring awareness to in a way that isn't as much self-serving, but more like I want people to understand where I'm going with it and what the purpose of it is. And not necessarily like, I need you to know who I am and what my brand is. And I feel like with the way you're talking about Bad Bitch Movement, it's a little bit like that, right? Like you want people to see what it is that you're doing. And in order to do that, merch is a really great way to bring attention to it, especially because you can do it in ways that are both cost effective and also really things can go viral, right? And so like, yeah. if you've got the right person wearing your stuff, like you just need somebody in a bad bitch movement shirt to yeah. rise to the top. <laughs> yeah, so it's the whole idea of starting to do merch drops came by because, wow, came because <laughs> I created the idea because I don't know, it was because I'm making a, a sense of community and to have a sense of community, it would be awesome if one person that saw another person wearing a bad bitch movement shirt. And so mm -hmm. I thought that's, I mean, yeah. that's the way to go about it. Like, I want to have women feel comfortable reaching out to each other in whatever field they're trying to get into. And if you see a woman with a bad bitch movement shirt on, you're like, hey, bitch, what do you do? <laughs> Why do you got that? What I is inspiration? I feel like you should actually have a shirt that like has like bad bitch movement on the front or something. And then on the back, it's like, hey, bitch, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> Or vice versa. But like, you should just totally have that on there. Because no. if I saw somebody wearing it, I would be like, yes, <laughs> what are you doing? I'm trying to figure out a way to do like politically correct shirts too. And my mom's all like, I just don't know how you can have a politically correct shirt that has bitch on it. I mean, look at my brand. Who the fuck? I mean, literally like in order to post a podcast, I have to be like, yes, explicit. Nobody's even cursed yet in an episode, right? So <laughs> I've had guests okay. say, oh, I didn't know I could. <laughs> Trust me, I'm very comfortable with the profanity to a point where I have to really regulate that, <laughs> especially in work scenarios. I also have to make sure that my camera is positioned just so that nobody sees this stuff when I'm on work calls. <laughs> just like a little further down. Yeah, like, I don't mind that in the background. It's fine. But you know, it, it's funny because I, I think that what you talk about with that and why that is a really great way to raise awareness of your organization is that there is a sense of community and familiarity with people who have the same types of interests like that too. Like you made the comment about sort of those celebrity quasi celebrity influencer types where 
yeah, I mean, congratulations, you figured out how to make money doing virtually nothing. I mean, really, congratulations. I'm envious of that in a way. But at the same point in time, you know, what is it that you're doing to serve the greater good? And I think if you can combine your passion for what you do and how you think about the world and relay that message to other people who are up and coming through similar situations or have also faced similar adversity, you really create a connection that is such a strong, strong bond. And you can't really, it's not something that people who aren't really, quote, part of it, right, will understand because it's something that sort of becomes integrated into you and integrated into the brand. So how do you see the bad bitch movement moving forward? Like, what is it that you want that to be in the longer term? And how do you want that to grow? So the future that I see for the bad bitch movement is having that big sense of community, me interviewing more women around every spectrum of fields and getting out like how they got into the field, like what, how did they go about attacking the adversity they had to face to get into tech or to get into small business owning or an entrepreneur. And there's just so much different stuff that women have to do to overcome whatever they did for that field. And so I want to put out inspiration for all young women and girls to see so they can say like, you know, this everyday mom, you know, went to college and ended up, you know, becoming a doctor or, you know, the girl that played softball ended up going to be a professional softball player. And I was going to say firefighter, (laughs) firefighter, right? Just how it's paving a way for women is the whole mindset of this. I is when you see one woman already do it for you, it becomes much easier. You have hope and all it takes is one person to believe in you for you to, you know, conquer your dreams and goals. And so I'm hoping that the bad bitch movement or me can be that one person that believes in someone that just needs a little extra hope to achieve their goals. I really love that. And it makes me want to ask you, did you have that one person that really helped you see your path forward? Yeah, I've been lucky to have a lot of mentors in my life. And when I moved to Dallas, my partner, he was a paramedic. He was the reason I actually got into the fire academy that I got into. So without him, I wouldn't be a firefighter. And That's then- awesome. Just my family in general, um, I have a lot of strong women figures in my family. So despite a lot of our disagreements, I mean, my mom is a single mom and she is probably one of the most caring people I've ever met in my life. Like just so loving, like wants to have all the children in the world and take care of everyone. And so I think that's where I get my, like my what's it, civil servant heart. Yeah. And then, you know, my great grandma, she was an unapologetic bad bitch. Like she worked until she was 90 years old. Oh, super beautiful, super feminine, but like, would put you in your place if you needed to be put in your place. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, I was. I just have had, always had very, very strong women figures in my life that I can be grateful for who I am today. And so, that's really cool. I think it's really awesome that you had mentioned that one of your role models who really helped you get to where you are in your career right now is one of the guys who's a paramedic for your, is it station or house? How would you refer to it? It was my station in, uh, okay. when I was living in Carrollton. Okay, cool. So I really love that you're thinking about this in terms of how you bring more people up, right? I feel like one of the great things that you hear more and more people talking about and hopefully will continue to talk about is that there's room for everybody. And not in the way where it's like everybody gets a participation trophy. <laughs> you know, it's like no. people should still right? <laughs> no. Yeah, hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like you should still have to work hard. And I think there should be rewards for working hard. And at the same time, you know, success can be different for everybody. So why can't everybody have success? Right. And so it can still be competitive, but also 
I think that there's a nature of competitiveness that's necessary to be able to elevate people to their potential. Do you feel that way as well? Yes, 100%, especially in my field. But I'm big about giving credit where credit is due. And so if me paving the way for someone else means that that person overcomes anything that I did and now is paving the way for somebody else way past what I did, that person deserves credit. Because that is, I think we need to have that mindset is you need to give credit where credit is due. And right now we live in a, a world where women can be anything they want. And the only thing that's holding us back is ourselves and like the minor sexism that is out there but we can break through any (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to comment on the fact that I think minor is probably an understatement but I see this with the caveat knowing that I very much was limited in my worldview probably until pretty recently around how much the patriarchy is sort of the construct of what we live within. And I used to really hesitate about using that word because I felt like it was too extreme. And it was something that like felt, I don't know, the connotation just felt off to me. Like maybe it wasn't representative of how I feel about the sexism that's pretty inherent. But realistically, you look at the way the systems are built around us. And I mean, look at it, look at how hard it was for you to become a firefighter and to be accepted into that role. To your point about women in technology, more often than not, up until very recently, I've been the only woman in a room, you know, so there's moments in our lives where I think we see it a lot more clearly. And then there's other times where it feels just like the way things are. So it's so embedded in our culture and the way that we do things that sometimes you don't see how big the impact is. When I call it minor, I don't mean it's not there because a lot of people are fucking sexist. I call it minor because now we're capable of breaking through it. There is nothing. There is now rules saying that we have we're a lot like we have to be allowed to do things. Yeah. And that it shouldn't be given to us and it never should be given to us, but like there's now nothing stopping us. Like a guy cannot not hire me if I have all the same credentials as another guy. Now can they treat me equally? <laughs> Exactly. That is up to them. But can I still get the opportunity? Yes. So the opportunities are there for us. And I don't want any woman that was listening to this to think that I don't think there's a minor amount of sexism because I see it every day. But the opportunities are now there for us. So we can now prove ourselves. And that's what we've been waiting for is the fact that like, give me the fucking opportunity so I can prove myself. Yeah. And thank you for clarifying that too. And I definitely wasn't assuming that you meant it in the way that I sort of projected that, but just to sort of clarify the point, right. Is like, it is, it's, it's very, the buzzword, right. Is systemic, right. There's just systemic sexism. Say that three times fast. You can't. (laughs) So, you know, I think that that part of it is a really good point that we are getting more opportunities and more visibility. And I think that same thing proliferates as far as how we continue to raise children into this world and say you have these opportunities now. And one of the things that I saw on your Instagram from a while ago was a Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote. And it really stood out to me when I was coming through before we had this conversation again, because I, before she passed away, I feel like I knew very little by comparison. And then I got very, very entrenched in like, what really has she done? And what should I know? Right. And you see how much impact one person had. One person changed so much for so many women. So like, how can we continue to do that for ourselves and for our future generations? Because we need people who are going to take on that role and create 
that safe space to say like, you can do what you need to do and you can be who you are and you can show up fully as a female and it shouldn't matter, right? It should be as any single person who goes into this has the same opportunity. And I feel like we maybe take that for granted a little bit being the ages that we are, because I think even about my mom, who she was one of a few people in her, I believe her high school class, maybe that went to college and she went to a two-year college because at the time it was, that's what women did. You went to, you got your associate degree, right? And so, and she's, I'm going to guess, I think she's going to be 72 this year coming up in January. And so like there's obviously a really big disparity in my own experience versus hers where it's like, I mean, yeah, women are going to college, right? And yes, women are getting degrees and yes, women are going into these fields and working full time. But it's really different because she was one of the people who, you know, went into the field and was a woman who had to break through those barriers and you know, she, she doesn't tell us a lot about her pre-child life because she lived in Manhattan in the 70s, but I do <laughs> think it's better not to know. Um, but I do think that, you know, <laughs> my wife keeps trying to get it out of her. My mom's like, no, <laughs> I'm like, come on. But, you know, I feel like that's one of those things where I grew up with something really similar where it was like, you know, you fight for what you believe in and you do what you need to do because you have every right to be here as much as anybody else. And so it's really great to hear that as part of your mission. So what do you see as some of the major issues today regarding gender inequality where you hope to make an impact with Bad Bitch Movement or or even just in general on your own independently? So I think it's bringing awareness to everyone about like us being equal, like women are just as capable as men or more capable in majority of fields. Because now that we do have the opportunities that can be given to us, you know, getting into the field is the hard part, like you have to be accepted, right? And like, these guys still have really old mindset. And even women, I mean, I have faced women that shoot me down more than a man has ever like, they're all like, Oh, you think you can be a woman bodybuilder, you think you can be a woman firefighter? No. So people are so quick to snub their nose because they're so used to the the gender roles or social norms that have been put onto us. And so that is the big idea is to really break that and educate people and show everyday women, beautiful women, fucking normal women, everyone doing their jobs. You can do anything. I think it's really cool that you specified to like, not just like the gender norms, but like just societal norms and expectations of women also, because there is this sense of competition, I think that arises for women sometimes. And it's not always and it really depends on the circumstance, because I've seen it both ways. And sometimes you get on one side of it where it's like, it's cutthroat and girls are going to get catty and it's going to get intense and you don't want to deal with it. Like I imagine as a firefighter, like you probably have like a low bullshit tolerance. So like that doesn't seem like the cattiness really strikes you. Yeah, I, don't, I don't fuck with that. <laughs> yeah, same, same. It's like, well, just stop wasting my time. Right. And so is it something that you feel like you've received a sense of competition in your role as a firefighter with other females? Or is it more of like a sisterhood and that like there are so few of you, so you really want to help bring each other up? I've been really lucky to have some firefighter female role models. When I was out doing training, when I was in the academy, I had a a girl from Denton and a girl from Fort Worth that kind of took me under their wing and helped me kind of figure out how to get through processes because the firefighter process is super hard. And there isn't a lot of us. I think the Denton girl was the only one at Denton. And then, of course, Fort Worth has more females. But and even with me and my job, like we have one other one, like one other woman firefighter. And so 
we don't tend to be catty towards each other. I'm very, I want to, whatever she knows that I don't, I want to learn. And whatever I know that she doesn't, I want to teach her, right? And I think that's the mindset. It's very growth with us, but we're not catty women to be in this field. Like, that's not who we are as people. But the guys on the other hand, I mean, the guys are... (laughs) It's like being in a sorority, not fraternity. It's like a sorority. They gossip all the time. Oh, yeah. I believe it. I totally believe it. (laughs) I feel like women get the rap. But if you give guys the opportunity, they're just as much there for it. I love the gossip. Like, you just need to, like, just listen. Just listen to boys talk. Like, don't talk to them. And they'll just gossip and talk shit and (laughs) be catty. Like, you see that he didn't have his uniform buttoned up. (laughs) So do you feel like, in general, there's a good sense of community at your station and with the people that you work with that you feel like almost like a familial bond with? Because, I mean, you are in these really intense situations at all times. And I imagine there's some sense of maybe continuous empathy that you go through in knowing like not only what you deal with when these things happen, but also what your fellow firefighters deal with. Yeah. um, I think I'm lucky to have the crew that I do really in work where I do. I do feel a bond with them. We all are kind of the same mindset. And so, you know, it'd be bad if you got stuck at a station where you didn't really have the same mindset as some of the guys, but yeah, I love every firefighter that I work with at my station. My driver is awesome. My lieutenant is awesome. The two firefighters I work with, they're amazing. So I'm definitely lucky. That's really cool and great to hear too, because I'm sure to your point, like it's not always the experience for anybody, male or female, or any gender identity really. And that actually sort of raises a question that I hadn't really considered. Is there any sort of conversation around like, people who are firefighters who are non-binary or they have a different gender identity than male or female that like, is that coming up as more of a topic these days or is it still pretty below the surface right now? I would say it's pretty below the surface. The fire industry as a whole is still very conservative, but what we have, what we're moving towards is like, we don't like, people don't care. Like, show me what you can do. They don't care if you're a man, you're a woman, if you're non-binary, they'll call you by what you want to be called by as long as you're more than capable of doing the job. The respect is there as long as you earn the respect. And so if that means that you want to be a they, then if you, that you'll be a they, just make sure you know how to do the job. Like, yeah, I love that mentality though. I think that's exactly what it needs to be. And I think that that's what it should be in general in life. Like if you can grow up and be, you know, good at what you do or intentional about the things that you do, be a really kind of human. That's exactly what I was going to say. Exactly. Just be a good human. I constantly say this to people, Elijah. I'm like, it's not hard. Like, it's actually harder to be a dick than it is to be a good person. So, like, why put all the energy and effort into doing things that hurt other people or create friction for other people when it really, it has no positive impact on anybody's life, right? Yeah, why harvest all of that aggression and anger and hatred when you can just like lend a helping hand and feel good like I don't understand I don't understand the mindset of that no and and I don't think I ever could I feel like I really as an overly empathetic person I feel like I really try to put myself in the position of other people which makes it impossible for me to think on that level where it is hypercritical and really aggressive and hateful and at the same time you know trying to 
empathize with those people and be like, well, what's your experience that made you like that? You know, like, so I, I really respect and appreciate that you're interested in going back to school for a psychology degree, because I feel like more people in your type of position should be focusing on the mental health aspects of these things, both for the people that you are helping on a daily basis and also for yourselves. Because I mean, I imagine going in and out of fires and seeing what you see, how do you feel like that impacts you emotionally? Because you seem, like I said earlier, really self-aware and you mentioned being mindful and being present and having these routines and practices, but does it ever wear on you? Luckily, I'm still like young and I'm not seasoned quite yet, but yeah, yeah, (laughs) I'm not seasoned yet. But yeah, you know, I'm going back into it to make people more aware because it will wear on you. I mean, just basic calls where, you know, you see shitty situations, you take on that energy as a human, like, you can't help that, you know, my biggest thing is like suicide calls, whether we want to or not, we take on whatever energy that person left behind. And so I do become mindful, like I realize when I am getting worn down, because I like to wear myself thin, like I love to constantly be doing things. But when I have had frequently bad calls in a row, like I need to get more rest, and I need to take more me time and maybe not wear myself as thin so I can regain the energy and I I really want to help my guys kind of understand that it's okay to feel like that and know what they need to do to regain the energy because they're you know you don't have to fucking go out and go hiking like I do or do yoga like I do but everyone has their thing and it's okay to take care of yourself yeah it's incredibly important to take care of yourself and frankly as somebody who would benefit from the type of services that a fire station offers I really would hope that people are taking care of their mental health. I feel the exact same way about any type of role, doctors, healthcare workers of any kind, police officers, et cetera. Like these are people who are so instrumental in the community that you need them to be well and you need them to be okay so they can serve you to the best of their abilities. Is it something that you feel like you might intersect the bad bitch movement with sort of your career as a firefighter where like you're hoping to integrate those two and sort of elevate them together? No, I don't want the bad bitch movement to be focused on first responders. I think it's awesome that I have this job so I can be an influencer in that way, right? But no, I wanted to make it more generalized. I want people to feel from every job field to feel safe to come and like be featured on the page. I don't want them to click on the page and be like, oh, it's only for EMS or fire Like I want everyone, like I just had a a musician reach out to me. So I posted her and she was actually a musician in Austin and I've had an artist reach out to me. And so I literally want everyone and I don't want to intersect my job with the Bad Bitch Movement page or me in general. Like I don't really want to like future myself on the page as much as I just am focused on futuring people. Yeah, it's really cool to see the content that you've curated thus far because I think it has a lot of the energy that you put out into it in that it's bold and it's intense and it's intentional and it's really straightforward about like it seems pretty easy right like you can do this this is who you are like fight for who you are be the best version of you that you can be Um, so what do you feel is the most valuable lesson you've learned through your journey both to become a firefighter and ultimately starting bad bitch movement fuck what people think i mean be true to yourself and i mean don't let barriers stop you like i was talking about earlier when you're paving a way for you to do something, you're going to have a barrier and there's two options. You can either break through the barrier or you can pave another road. And so I like the past of most resistance. So I'll try to break through a barrier as much as possible until I'm like, okay, maybe I should go like the easier way and kind of go around it. Right. But you know, it's 
follow your heart when humans know what they want to do. And if something is setting your soul on fire, like chase after that and don't let people doubt you at all. So if you want to be a fucking artist and that's what sets your soul on fire, you're going to make something beautiful one day that's going to inspire everyone. And so you don't have to be impactful like me every day on fucking going to, I don't know, car accidents or doing stupid shit like we do, but you can be a technology person like you are and you're, you're making technology that helps us. Like you're helping businesses keep on grow. And so if it sets your soul on fire and you're good at it, chase your dreams. Yeah. I, I would hardly call what you do every day stupid. So I'm going <laughs> to let that brief undermine and go, no, I mean, you're not, are you rescuing cats out of trees anymore? Um, <laughs> why is that even a thing? I a cat though. I was, and I'll send you a picture of it after this. I got, um, yes, I got a kitten and I couldn't keep her. She was so sweet. And so the gay couple that lives next door to me, they have a son. And I was outside like making the cat chase me around and they wanted a pet. So now the cat lives next door to me. Oh, that's so cute. That worked out perfectly. Do you still get to see it? Yes. And so it's not a she, it's actually a he, but I'm going to still call it a she. Oh, that's adorable. How did you rescue it? Was it just like randomly roaming around or was it a firefighting situation? <laughs> no, we were out on a medical call in a really, really shitty area. And the cat kept like we were inside helping the patient and like the cat kept on coming up to the door and the lady in the house kept on throwing the cat off, like moving it off the deck. Like, and I was all like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we came out and I like looked at my lieutenant which was like my driver riding up that day his name's Shaw and I was all like can I take it home with me and he like walked away and then he turned around and he was like yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's adorable and so were you <laughs> okay. I feel like that's also maybe the difference between men and women on the force like I'm gonna, is. I'm, I'm gonna take this this kitten right this right here <laughs> like that nurturing sense that like you were saying your mom's super nurturing you're like i'm gonna save this animal right now too though <laughs> yeah. it's everything I take care of everything <laughs> yeah. oh, i love it so you know thinking about how this has all come together for you i mean i really love hearing your story i love that you're so driven and that you're just incredibly passionate and well spoken and articulate about how you see yourself and where you are in your life to be able to affirm that you've done the right things and that you want to share that with other people. So what advice would you want to give either young girls or women who are seeking to find their purpose and maybe feel undermined by societal norms? Like I said earlier, if it sets your soul on fire, chase your dreams. Everyone doubts themselves and that it's going to happen, but just reassure yourself. I mean, you know what you're capable of. And if you set the bricks for something very small, you can always build on top of it. And so, yeah, don't let someone tell you what you can and cannot do. Because if you believe in yourself, you're definitely going to do it. Anyone, whatever you set your mind to, you can achieve. And I used to think that was the stupidest fucking thing someone can tell me. Like, you know, I, I can't be an astronaut. So if I set my mind to that, then there's no way I can do that, right? Like trying to find a reason not to. But in like in all honesty, anything you do set your mind to, you can achieve. And so... The best thing I can tell them is become mindful, become self-aware and chase after your dreams. Don't stop. You're going to feel resistance, but break through it. Yeah. Well, and I love that also because it really speaks to the fact that 
you've overcome what you have and you have this confidence and this resilience that allows you to perpetuate that message and share it with other people, which is really what we need right now. Like we need people to come together and see each other more. And I love that you said specifically, be more mindful, be more self-aware, because in my own journey, I see that and I feel that so deeply, like the whole point of the show, right? It's like, who the fuck am I? Like, who am I? Like, why does any of this matter to me or to anybody, you know? And at the end of the day, it's because we all have a story and our story is important and we're the people who get to tell it. And we want to be able to look back on our lives and feel proud of what we've done. And I think that's a very human condition for most people. And it's really an opportunity, I think, for us as females who are exploring what other opportunities lay before us to build communities to unite with each other as well and bring you know all of these causes and opportunities to the helm where we can get more visibility on it and have more people engaged with these types of conversations because the more self-aware we are the more self-aware other people can become and it's this really positive i think snowball effect that you hopefully we see amounting to much much more in the years to come oh yeah definitely well, I really appreciate your time today, Alasia. This conversation has been awesome. I'm so glad that you shared your story and that we've had a chance to chat about this. I'm really looking forward to the merch drop. So keep me posted about those hot new shirts out and uh, we'll, we'll do some uh, cross promos. But I really appreciate your time, your energy and just your positive vibes and your contribution to society because it's super important, both the work that you do day to day and also the emphasis that you're putting on raising other women up as well. So thank you so much. Yes, thank you for having me. You have a, a good day. Well, gang, that's all for this episode of the Who the Fuck podcast. Thanks for listening and a big thank you to Elasia Orfelli for sharing her story and her time. Follow the Bad Bitch Movement on Instagram at Bad Bitch Movement Co. To join the community that celebrates women who defy social norms. This episode's Who the Fuck for a Cause is in support of more four kids. If you have the means, visit whothefck.com slash donate to contribute and help keep children safe from abusive relationships. Make sure you subscribe to the Who the Fuck podcast on your preferred platform. And if you like what you hear, go ahead and share the love by rating us on Apple Podcasts. Share your email at whothefck.com to receive updates about the podcast, merch, and more. Until next time. Make sure you subscribe to the Who the Fuck podcast on your preferred platform. And if you like what you hear, go ahead and share the love by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Share your email at whothefck.com to receive updates about the podcast, merch promos, and more. Until next time. DC, I host the rock podcast back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one-on-one -on -one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to back to the arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. 
Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour.